Hello and welcome to your go-to Detroit Pistons podcast, The Pistons Pulse, co-hosted by me, Bryce Simon of Motor City Hoops and Detroit Bad Boys, a former D1 Hooper, current high school coach, teacher, husband, and father of three amazing kids. And I'm Omari Sanko for the second, Pistons beat writer for the Detroit Free Press. And of course, we are always blessed to be joined by our producer, Wes Davenport. Before we get going... Due to the holidays and everyone's schedule, we did record this episode before the Pistons' Friday game versus Atlanta and Monday game versus the Clippers. But that does not mean we don't have a great episode for you, as we have an amazing guest to look at this Pistons team and organization as a whole, and from more of a front office perspective. Joining us today is former college player, former coach, one-time agent, a man who literally grew up in a basketball family of current NBA front office members, now the senior draft analyst for Basketball News, creator of Babcock Hoops, has his own podcast, The Matt Babcock Show, presented by Title League, as well as countless other NBA and NBA draft-related endeavors. All of that's a long way of saying there's nobody better to come on and talk last year's Piston draft picks and play armchair GM with us than Matt Babcock. Matt, welcome back to the Pistons Pulse. Bryce, Amari, thanks for having me as always. Yeah, man, we're excited to get into this. Amari, real quick, where where are you at, man? You're always on the road now. You're always traveling. Well, what, what city we got you in today? Yeah, I am in the great city of Atlanta, Georgia. Uh, literally, uh, the flight got delayed like an hour. Uh, it's, you know, rain and snow everywhere. So uh, in Atlanta, Georgia, staying in the Glen Hotel. So you see this lion behind me. I don't know why this hotel has lions everywhere, but uh, I'm in the Glen Hotel, not too far from the arena. So, yeah, Matt, it's great to see you. It's great to have you on, on the show. Um, you know, always Yeah, a, no, likewise. Yeah, always a, a, a pleasure, and this should be a fun one today. Matt, let's jump right into it. I met you at Summer League this past summer. We got to talk a little about uh, Jaden Ivey, and I know you were a big fan of his coming into the draft. Can we? Let's just go back to that. And I know we've had you on before, and you've talked about Jaden Ivey, but let's start there, and then we'll progress through his rookie season and go from there. Yeah, no, sounds great. And uh, I mean, as you know, I'm, I'm, I've been a big fan of, of Jaden's for for a while. I think I was higher on him than, than most NBA draft analysts in the media. And um, it's, you know, honestly, I'm not, I'm not not really surprised that he that he's done well individually this year so far. Uh, I guess for you, Matt, what kind of made you higher on Jaden, uh, maybe compared to the consensus? Because he was in that top tier, but it seems like it, there's almost a half step between him and then you had that top three of obviously Chet Holmgren, uh, Jabari Smith Jr., and then uh, Paulo Bencaro. Kind of what for you propelled him into that very top tier as well? Yeah, I think that the biggest things with, with Jaden that, that stuck out to me is that his level of burst and athleticism is, is just so unique. It's just, you know, guys like him don't come around very often. And evaluating him, you know, in that Purdue system and, and the Big Ten for that matter, uh, you know, I saw, you know, the, the translatability of his athleticism, you know, really, really being seamless in the NBA, uh, you know, more floor spacing, um, you know, more one on one action, high pick and roll, you know, really, really fits his game and his style. Uh, and even though I mean he 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 still has some flaws that he needs to to polish up and, and whatnot, uh, but that athleticism just gives him you know star upside in my mind. So you mentioned the flaws, Matt. What what were some of those? Obviously, we've seen some now in the NBA, and obviously it makes sense with him being a rookie. But coming into the NBA, what were some of the things you scouted? Where like these are definite areas of improvement for Jaden Ivey. You know, he's interesting because you know he's an on-ball creator, uh, but he, but he's he can be pretty loose with his handle. His decision making can be a little spotty. He, he's not he's not a traditional point guard by any means. Even though I, I do think he's most effective uh, with with the ball in his hands. Uh, and so yeah, I think you know long term, just increasing his basketball IQ, his his feel for the game, and just you know different reads and, and decision making. Jalen Duran as well, uh, you know, he's he's played pretty well. I guess where would you, you – know, it's a little bit more more broad. Kind of where do you think the Pistons rank just as far as their draft class, you know, obviously being able to get two guys in like that that lottery system. I'm not sure exactly where you feel on Duran, but, you know, I think a lot of Pistons fans have been very happy with what they've seen from that duo through 35 games or so. I mean, I think they did really well in the draft. I, you know, I, I got interviewed after the draft by, by a number of different outlets, and they're one of the teams that I said, hey, I thought I thought they came out of there with uh, with an A, you know, and uh, I mean, getting Ivy at, at, at where they did and, and, and Duran, who's, you know, a younger player with with upside, um, I thought it was it was a great, great draft for them. And as far as my feelings on Jalen, I mean, I've been following him since he was in high school, uh, and, and obviously he reclassified last year to be a freshman at Memphis early, uh, and, and there's been, there's some concerns with, you know, with his, uh, you know, his maturity a little bit you know he had somewhat of a selective motor um but you know talent wise you know i mean he was big time his physical tools i mean the guy you know even though he was a young freshman last year uh 
already was just so physically developed and and had a, you know sort of a surprising skill set for for a guy of his stature. Uh, and I think it was more of just he needed time to, to get groomed and kind of kind of grow up a little bit. We talked on this podcast about Jalen Duran, or I, I did. I don't think Omari ever agreed with me, I guess. But I <laughs> talked about him possibly spending some time in the G League just because he was so young. At that time, the Pistons roster was filled with bigs. And I just thought I wanted him to get the usage. And I know we'll talk about this a little bit later when we talk about everything as a whole, making sure these guys are getting those in-game reps. Are you surprised at all that he's never spent any time in the G League, was immediately getting minutes off the bench, and now has worked his way into the starting lineup. Like Based off what you had seen, did you see that out of him this early in his rookie season? With him, it really depended on where he was selected. I mean, I think this would have gone a lot differently if he had gone to a number of other teams. Obviously, Detroit's in, in more of a rebuild mode. I think they could they could handle playing young guys and let, letting them work through their kinks a little bit, which I, I personally think is a benefit for Jalen. Uh, you know, like, like you mentioned, I mean, you know, guys in order for them to, to develop properly, they need to be on the floor, whether it's in the NBA, the G League, or wherever. That there's only so so much progress you can make. Uh, you know, doing individual workouts and just you know working, you know, w- you know, outside the bright lights. And so it's uh, it seems like it's worked out well for him because you know they they are playing him, I think, enough uh, to, to where he is able to grow. What do you see as sort of the archetype for him? Uh, I think a lot of comparisons are thrown out, but at the end of the day, you just don't see a lot of bigs with his athleticism that also, you know, you, you kind of see the, the passing upside. He had four assists last night. Just uh, what co- player do you see him sort of occupying? What mode do you see him occupying if he develops into, you know, close to his ceiling? I don't know if I necessarily have a, a, a good comp for him specifically, uh, but as far as his style of play, I mean, I think he, his game can be relatively simple, you know, while still being effective and valuable for for the Pistons. Uh, you know, it, you know, physicality, you know, blue collar, you know, type stuff of you know, setting screens, rebounds, rim, rim running, uh, and as you mentioned, he, he is more skilled than one might think initially. I mean, he, he's I, I noticed his passing ability even when he was in high school. He's shown the ability of having a decent touch. I mean, I think he's got. Um, you know, room for growth. Probably a lot of it is confidence uh, development as far as outside shooting. But I do think he's capable of shooting out, you know, an open shot at a decent range. Uh, but, you know, I think big men outside of the guys that are Joel Embiid and Nikola Jokic uh, really can just, just be, a, you know, play, play a simple role and just kind of master master their role. Yeah, I mean, there's a lot of comparisons to Dwight Howard and, you know, just because of the body type probably more than anything and and the athleticism and the things he's able to do. I sometimes get I don't get frustrated with that because obviously Dwight Howard was incredible, but I don't want people to miss on some of the things you're talking about. The passing, a developing mid-range jumper over maybe a few years, uh, an ability to possibly play some switch coverage. Obviously, he's going to be more of a drop, drop coverage big. I'm not saying he's going to end up being like Bam Adebayo or Nikola Jokic. Like those, you know, I'm not saying it's that skill, but I don't want him. I've always been worried about him getting pigeonholed into just being uber athletic and big and strong. And so I, I just, that's why I don't always love the Dwight Howard comparison. Do you think those skill sets are are real and developing are going to happen for him? I do think they're real. I, I'm not sure how important they are. I okay. mean, if you're looking at it from an organizational standpoint for, with the Pistons, I mean, I, I don't know if I necessarily would need, um, you know, to really emphasize your offense, utilizing his passing or shooting abilities or just overall skill set. It's kind of just a nice bonus. I I do think he can play a Dwight Howard type of game. Also keep in mind, Dwight Howard, how he made his name was in a different, different era of basketball, right? I mean, it was still, still a lot of like low post isolation, stuff like that. Um, You know, I think, you know, where, you know, as Dwight aged, the role he kind of fell into, I think Jalen's got a chance of sort of, uh, like I said, mastering that type of role where it's it's pretty simple basketball. Big, you know the, the the traditional big men these days, you have to do you know X, Y, and Z, and just but you need to do it well. Uh, and then obviously the the biggest difference is on the defensive end. He, he needs to make sure that he's able to move his feet and not kind of get lost in space and, and that sort of thing. And um, you know e- even if they are playing some some level of drop coverage, you don't want it to be extreme because then you're just too vulnerable. So it's still kind of is the same concepts of uh, of being somewhat versatile, even, even though he's he's a real Really big guy. I want to go back to Jaden Ivey, and you mentioned earlier, uh, you know, which me and Bryce both agree with. He's not a traditional point guard. He's more of, well, he's not an off bar guard either. He needs the ball, but he's not necessarily the guy you want to be. Um, you know, like your your lead playmaker, I guess to say. How do you sort of build around a guy like that? The Pistons obviously have Cade, which not this season, but ideally in the future, take some of that playmaking off of him. But 
uh, I guess, how do you imagine a roster that kind of maximizes what Jaden Ivey can do, given that him getting downhill is such a, a, a game-changing uh, force, but you still have to kind of take care of the things that he can't do as well? You know, with Cade and, and Jaden, you know, when they're on the floor together, I mean, I, I think there there is room for, for more than one creator. Uh, and I think both are at a, at a point, I mean, they're both still really young, right? But I, I do think they're at a point where outside shooting, e- even though it's not their strength, it's not broken either. And I, and I think I think naturally they'll they'll improve to where they both can play on the ball, off the ball, kind of you know, find a nice balance. And that, that'll probably be the coach's, you know, biggest, uh, you know, juggling act of, of figuring out how, how do you utilize both players players at that level uh, properly. Uh, but I, I do think I, I like I, I see it as an advantage for the Pistons organization of having, you know, two guys that can create that are versatile. And I mean, especially Kate, I mean, with his size, I mean, he essentially can play the one, two or three. Uh, so I think, you know, even with this high lottery pick coming, which I know we're going to talk about a little bit later, um, you really have a lot of lineup flexibility and, and a lot of flexibility with what kind of sets and, and what kind of actions you're trying to run. You know, Matt, I, I know the answer to this because you and I have talked about this, but for our listeners, what do you think the ceiling is for Jay Nivey? I'm not going to ask for a comp or anything like that, but, and I know it's all relative. Like there's a percentage chance that he actually reaches a ceiling, but like a realistic, like what do you kind of envision Jay Nivey being in the league? If he keeps developing at all clicks, I, I'm expecting him to be a perennial all-star. I mean, I just, I think his upside is that high. And that's, that's why I was surprised he got to the point in the draft that he did. Even though I, I, I mean, I really like those other, other top, top players a lot. Uh, uh, I just the the upside, um, the upside's there in my mind. Let's shift to another primary ball handler for this team, and that's Killian Hayes. And obviously, he's played a lot better over the last month. The last three games have been a little shaky, so you know he's hitting a little bit of adversity here. But I want to go back to 2020 when he got drafted, Matt. I don't know how much you scouted him specifically, but I know you were doing that back then. What was kind of the scouting report on him? What were your thoughts on him and and maybe what has surprised you about the struggles through his career so far? No, I, I've scouted him for a long time. I mean, I, I've watched him in Paris or uh, in France a number of times in person. And um, I mean, I, I was always intrigued with it, with his playmaking ability. I, I think uh, the, the biggest struggle, and it was something that held me back on him a little bit, was uh, the lack of quickness, which I, I think is been one of his biggest problems in the NBA. He's not really getting by people regularly. Um, and, and, the, and, and then, he, you know, he struggled with confidence. I mean, he struggled earlier, and it seems like he kind of got in quicksand from a, a mental, you know, confidence standpoint, which if you're not confident, I mean, good luck hitting shots against NBA defenders, right? And so, um, yeah, he just kind of got into a funk, and it's nice to see that he's, he's growing out of it. Um, I, I I don't I don't necessarily think there, that he has star potential, but I mean, if he's if he's playing on you know with, with higher confidence and he's hitting shots, I, I think he's a very serviceable guy, like on a good team, you know, possibly being like a good rotation guy that could you know be a, be a French starter possibly. Did you buy into his upside as a shooter? Because he did not knock down a lot of threes when he was overseas, but I think the the free throw percentage was always there, and you know the mechanics were always good enough, and I think a lot of people could see the outlines of him becoming a decent shooter as his career went on. And he's been red hot from mid range. He's, you know, he's been good from three kind of tone off a little bit now, but um, it took a while for the shooting to come, but it has come. Is that something that you saw, you know, coming from him eventually? Yeah. I mean, I didn't think he was a, you know, a totally pure shooter, but I didn't think it was going to be a, a problem either. Uh, and so, I mean, his early struggles did, did surprise me, even though I, I had somewhat, you know, question marks with the, the lack of quickness and whatnot. Um, I mean, I, I was a bit surprised that, that he, that he struggled as much as he did early. And, um, but long-term, yeah, I, I think mechanics wise, I think he's fine. I think I think with him, it's mostly a, a confidence uh, type type thing. You, you've been an agent for prospects. You you played at a high level. You've been around the game your entire life. How much is confidence an issue for NBA players? Because it's it's kind of strange to hear, right? Like a guy that's as talented as Killian Hayes, they struggle to have confidence. But it seems like a very very real thing with him. Going back to when you scouted him, and it's definitely been a real thing in his time in Detroit. Is that fairly common with NBA guys? Oh, for sure. I mean, confidence is everything, especially in basketball, and especially with perimeter players that that are you know depend on uh, skills, right? So, I mean, ball handling, passing, shooting. I mean, if you're not feeling good about yourself, it's hard. It's hard to to maximize your your talent and uh, yeah, it's shooting, especially. I mean, if if you're not not feeling good about yourself, you're you're not able to visualize yourself making shots. I mean, good luck. It's just that's a that's a hard hard hurdle to get over. One thing about that draft is that really the top 15 wasn't that good <laughs> and then really the top 10 specifically was not great uh, one thing i talked to Dwayne about um a couple weeks ago was just you know killian came in from overseas had a very 
uh, shortened training camp just because of the nature of the pandemic. You know, a lot of guys workouts over the, that offseason were kind of um, disrupted, you know, just from, you know, lack of gym access in, in, in some ways and all sorts of other things. And, uh, you know, Killian just had a very irregular kind of start to his career, especially with the hip injury. Uh, do you do you think that that could be a factor just in this draft class as a whole? Because, you know, like one thing I've you know talked to fans or just anyone else about is that, yeah, Killian is seventh pick, maybe have high hopes, but in that draft, that's not maybe your traditional seventh pick. I think after the top two or three picks, it was pretty much wide open as far as how different teams evaluated a lot of those guys. Yeah, no, one hundred percent. I mean, I, I think that you know, the higher higher the pick, higher the the, the actual number, the more pressure there, there is on the player and the team for that that player to su- succeed. Uh, but at the end of the day, I mean, these teams need to pick somebody, right? And uh, so, yeah, yeah, I, I definitely think that is somewhat of a factor as far as the the built in uh, pressure and expectations. Matt, before we really kind of put you in the GM chair and talk about this organization as a whole, I want to ask about one more specific player in that same draft class, and that's Isaiah Stewart. And as we were talking this week and and leading up to this, you gave some insight on the Isaiah and his high school film and what he was doing, or maybe you watched him in person, but just him as a high school player. And now that we're seeing him shoot the three with the Detroit Pistons, what were kind of your thoughts on him coming out of high school after one year at Washington? Because I think one thing a lot of Pistons fans don't realize, he was a top five ESPN recruit in that in that high school recruiting class so we're talking about a big time talent in Isaiah Stewart coming out I've watched Isaiah for years and I remember this was before he even committed to Washington the first time I saw him was I believe it was at the Nike Academy uh, in LA I mean that was what four years ago five years ago now and um you know, right, right off the bat, I mean, just his physicality and his motor jump out. I mean, he, he's been special. That's I think it's just, you know, how he's built. He's just a tough guy that's willing, you know, willing and able to run through a brick wall. Uh, and uh, and so, you know, I, I, I love I loved his toughness right off the bat. And, and I, I saw the shooting potential even back then, even though that's not been what his his label has been. Um, he had a really nice touch, you know, a tight, tight release, really good rotation. Uh, I, I did think he was going to uh, develop into a player that could stretch the floor. Uh, so I'm not I'm not surprised that that he's he's shooting the ball a little bit right now. Uh, and then at Washington, you know, I, I think he, you know the team his team wasn't very good. Their guard play was was absolutely horrible his freshman year there. Um, his tough his toughness I think rang through, but um, you know didn't do much on the perimeter. And I think a lot of people were held back on him one because I mean the trend of of big you know traditional big men you know the value just dying I, I think hurt him uh, across the board with people. Um, I, I just, you know, his his toughness and uh, willing to do whatever it takes to, to win and make things happen. I, I just had so much confidence in him that he he would be able to figure it out to be a good NBA player. So I, I was really, really high, much higher on him than, than most people were. Compared to college, Isaiah's role in the NBA has been uh, pretty significantly different. I mean, at first he defended in a you know a, a zone at Washington, which you know you're not going to do as much in the NBA. But uh, you know he's mostly post oriented. Um, you know he wasn't defending on the perimeter as much. You know he has some mid range jumpers here and there, but uh, he's been almost a full time four this season. You know he's taking like four threes a game, and you know he didn't take very many in college at all. Uh, how often have you seen you know just in 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 three years a big man kind of come into the NBA and almost change their entire uh, profile as a, a player because his trajectory so far, I think it's been really unique for him to do that in such a short amount of time. Yeah, no, I mean, I think every year we, we talk about it more and more internally with, with with my colleagues of, you know, big men, like how how do they translate? I mean, the we, we all are aware that the, the value of the traditional big men is, is it's not dead, but it's it's lost significant value, right? And so with Isaiah, um, I mean, it's kind of one of those deals where it's like, hey, adapt or die, right? And and that goes back to like the character and his approach of, hey, I, I had confidence that this kid would be able to figure it out and find a way of being an effective NBA player. And, um, he, he's done it. I mean, I, and I think, you know, right now we're looking at guys like, you know, two of the top players in college basketball with Drew Timmy and Oscar Shibway. And even though they're, they're, they're different, different style of players, they're big men that probably would have held a lot more value in the league 15, 20 years ago. Now we're trying to figure out, okay, you know, with Oscar Sheboy specifically, he's kind of like Isaiah Stewart, right? This 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 is a big physical guy that's you know super high character. It's tough. It's all you know the juggling act type of deal. But I, I think Isaiah is sort of uh, the recent you know poster child as far as the guy like, hey, let's not let's not discredit these guys that have that that um, that secret sauce, if you will, right? I mean, Isaiah certainly has it. I mean, I think he's a he's a culture setter, right? I mean, that's that's exactly the guy Troy comes in, brings in, brings in Isaiah. Um, and based off Troy's press conference when he got hired, I mean, it made perfect sense, right? I mean, he wants toughness. He wants to bring back the old bad boys type uh, type persona. And that's that's Isaiah Stewart in a nutshell. 
All right, speaking of Troy Weaver, we're going to take a short break, but when we come back, we're going to talk to Matt and break this organization down, the moves that have been made, the moves that are coming at the deadline, the moves that are coming in the offseason, and with all of his front office expertise, he's going to give us some insight into what he thinks the Pistons should be doing. Take a listen to this. So this sign that I have says, on today's episode of America, guns have more rights than women. That's a clip from On the Line, a weekly podcast produced by the Detroit Free Press. I'm the host, Carrie Jr. II, and you're getting a glimpse into the types of stories we cover. The latest in news, culture, and everyday life. We're sifting through the news to give you what's important and hearing what you've got to say about it. There was this huge disinvestment in the city of Detroit. And now, all of a sudden, it's cool to be here. So now you're going to come and take what we got. So check out On the Line every Friday, wherever you listen to podcasts. All right, we're back with segment two. And we're going to play a game, really a a couple games of armchair GM here. And uh, we're going to put Matt in the GM seat. And I want to lead off with uh, the player that probably will generate the most trade interest for the Pistons through the, the trade deadline. And that's Boyan Bogdanovic, who's having a really, even by his standards, a, a, a pretty strong overall offensive season. Uh, you know, the Pistons extended him an extra two years uh, back toward the beginning of the season. But, um, you know, I think, I think the debate right now is do you, the Pistons are still bad, obviously without K do you, do you keep him and, and make a decision on him later on? Or do you sort of sell high on him now? And I'm just curious Matt, what you're, approach would be for him, you know, just trade deadline approaching um, a couple months from now. And the way I see this is there's uh, not necessarily one one right way of building a team or, you know, r- r- running a team, building a team and, and sort of what the timeline is as far as to win. It, it, for me, you know, from the outside looking on in with the Pistons, um, I, I would stay on rebuild mode. I think they've got a nice core unit of young players and they need to prioritize continuing to develop them uh, individually and collectively. And so with that said, I mean, Bogdanovich is not not part of their long term plans, or nor, nor should he. Right, he's a really effective player, um, but I mean, he's he's how, how old is he now? In his early thirties, thirty three or yeah, thirty four, thirty three, yeah. right. Right. So, I mean, I personally, I would look to trade him, possibly, you know, do some, some kind of like salary dump where you get an expiring contract and get some get some assets, maybe a pick or two. Um, that that would be my approach. And also, um, you know, with that mindset of trying to trim down the salary cap. So you kind of do the Sam Presti type approach of absorbing bad contracts to to, to gain more assets. Because uh, I, I think they need to kind of double down on like, hey, we're a young team that's probably two, three years away from scratching the surface of, of their prime as, as, a, as a core. Um, yeah, so long story short, I, I think I would uh, aggressively look at options of moving him to, to bring some some assets back. Matt, whenever we were talking about this, the very first thing you you told me was like, man, Boyan's taking the most field goal attempts on the team. And, and I think that kind of stood out to you. Why, why did that surprise you? And and I don't want to say concern you, but why was that kind of a big takeaway for you that, you know, I mean, Cade was obviously averaging the most before the injury, but that Boyan was taking the majority of the field goal attempts for this team. You know, where what, what stood out to you with that? You know, obviously, you guys watch this team a lot more than I do. But I, again, looking you know, from the outside looking on in, you know, I, I, Sadiq Bay's regressed a little bit shooting wise, at least, right? Yep. And I mean, how much is the Bogdanovich factored into that? I mean, is he is he playing as with much confidence because he's not in as quite as big a role? And, and I'm just using that as one example. But uh, in my my priorities would be hey, our young guys that we're invested in long term that we want to develop. Uh, they need to be put in, in roles where they're they're going to thrive and they're going to you know be able to build confidence. And so yeah, having, having a guy you know like Bogdanovich who is is being so effective individually, you know might might be holding these guys back a little bit. Um, so yeah, I mean that's uh, you know and, and kind of what you're talking about too with uh, with, with Jalen uh, Duran is the usage. I mean the guys need usage to to, to learn and grow. Sort of where is your uh, philosophy on just having veterans with, um, you know, like young teams like the Pistons who are learning how to win? You have a guy in Boyan who's been in some really good situations with the Utah Jazz. Uh, you know, like the Pacers were still pretty good when he was with Indiana. Um, you know, of course, he's a guy that kind of needs the ball. And, you know, there are veterans who probably don't need that type of usage. But I guess where do you fall in just having a guy like that with the team who could, 
you know, ideally just kind of show through example how, how to play winning basketball. A young rebuilding team does need to have a veteran presence. I, I think it needs to be somewhat of a case by case, I, you know, as, as far as what type of players or what level you're, you're expecting from them. Uh, I mean, I think with with this team, you, you don't want a ball dominant guy, you know, because you, you've got some players that 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 need the ball. I mean, with Cade and Jaden and, and Sadiq's not ball dominant, but I mean, you know, I, I'd like to see him get more shots, you know. And so having another shooter out there that plays, you know, I guess a similar style, you know, a, a little bit, you know, is, is something that I, I would look to avoid. I mean, with this team, I think I would I would. uh like I mentioned, trim down the cap to to you know create space to possibly absorb bad contracts where you get additional picks and, and kind of get, be more flexible with how you build your team moving forward. And, and, and then just getting some some vets that you're not really dependent on to play a whole lot of minutes or make a lot happen. Uh, just be more of a veteran presence in the locker room. And if you need spot minutes or injuries and you need depth, uh, guys that are fully capable of, of, of producing, uh, but you're not necessarily dependent on them. You, you, you sort of use your, your young core unit uh, to to grow as a group. Another vet that's in a similar switch situation as Boyan is Alec Burks. He's on a club option for $10 million next year. A really good, you know, number for a guy like Alec Burks. I think the last time he's top 10 in scoring off the bench. So he's having a good season. You know, he does make a lot of his threes unassisted. So another guy like, I don't know that he demands the ball as much as Boyan, but you know, he's playing in the second unit right now with Sadiq Bay, who's been moved back there. And you watch the second unit play and he's taking the shots or Marvin Bagley's taking the shots. And it's not Sadiq so you know someone like Alec Burks are you of the same mindset of hey you probably need to see if you can trade him let the contract expire because right now he's kind of taking some usage from the young guys personally I would probably go very aggressive on the on the rebuild approach as far as trimming down those contracts and, and, and Alex is in a similar situation as Bogdanovich is he, he's still got a lot left in, in, in the tank right and I'm sure he's he's still got goals of his own that he's wanting to accomplish and um, I mean if I was representing Alex I'd, I'd, I'd tell him to get out of town and go go play for a winner instead of being a babysitter right um, but uh, and another thing to keep in mind mind is okay if there's you know idea that there's any struggles with managing the minutes and opportunities right now Cade's out and they're gonna be adding two other high picks at least right and that's not even considering they, they were to take my approach and trade Bogdanovich try and get another pick right and so you're gonna be adding at least two more young players uh, and so I you know I, I would be very careful of not having a log jam uh, and, and I'm sure Pistons fans like, like any fan base want their team to win want them to be good probably are impatient to to a certain extent right um but i i i do think the the best thing for the franchise would be prioritizing the long term since they have such a great core you know young core unit amari are the pistons fans a little impatient right now <laughs> what, how do you feel about that but was matt spot um, on with that yes yes absolutely spot on uh it's funny because they played there uh you know like we're recording this you know for people listening on uh thursday the day before they played the hawks on friday and um they had a really bad loss to the sixers last night and it was a really bad loss like this like it was the worst loss of the season they, they had like 22 turnovers probably 14 of those were like turnovers you see in like middle school <laughs> games and not like Turnovers you see in the NBA to us, like three were in the backcourt, like wrapped in the inbounds. And, uh, you know, I was just kind of open discussion on Twitter. Like, I don't see anybody tweeting about this game. Like, it's just the beat writers. Y'all good. And fans were just like, absolutely not. Like, we are absolutely sick of this rebuild and we're ready to see some winning. Uh, which is why this feels like, even if it can be a quiet deadline for the Pistons, because I do think that they want to take steps toward winning next season, uh, significant steps toward winning. You're at a point now where you have 50 games left and, you know, the fan base is like, I don't know how much longer we can do this. Uh, but that kind of brings me to the next question. You kind of look at this roster and you see guys like Nerlens Noel, who's not getting a lot of minutes because they're prioritizing the, the development of Jalen Duran. And uh, like Corey Joseph, like he looked like he was going to not come off the bench at all last night until it became a, a blowout. Uh, do you see value for those types of guys, just, you know, veterans who are probably more so bench pieces, but obviously can – that kind of shore up death for you know teams that want to make deep runs. Do you see any assets that the Pistons could get for guys like that? Yeah, possibly. I mean, I I think uh, I mean I think Corey's still still very much a serviceable backup. Um, you know, and it's really I, I think case by case with each guy. I mean, where where the, where are their priorities at personally? I mean, what what you know what is is Troy, what kind of conversations is Troy having with their agents, that, that sort of thing. And that's where, you know, being an armchair general manager is, is challenging because there's so much that goes on behind the scenes as far as communicating with the player, communicating with the circle, making sure you're on the same page because, uh, you know, oftentimes, you know, the public might think, hey, this guy's washed up. He doesn't want to play. 
The player doesn't think that, though. And so if you, if you don't get a veteran to buy into a role like that, now all of a sudden you're not only having to like babysit and groom all these young guys, you're having to manage all these aging stars, too. And it, it, it very quickly could come, become just a uh, total, total zoo for, for a general manager, head coach, coaching staff, and, and everybody involved. Matt, can we just talk in general here for a second? Because you brought up Troy and the relationships. And one thing I've been impressed, again, just somebody from the outside, like I felt like he took care of Derrick Rose whenever he traded him to the Knicks because personally I thought that's probably where Derrick wanted to go. He bought out Blake Griffin. He's made some other moves where you felt like it was – some relationship-based decisions and making those connections, kind of taking care of guys without really hindering the organization. Can you just speak to how important that is? You know, you were on the other side of that as an agent at one point. You know, as an agent, what would that mean to you that, you know, have a GM that kind of takes care of your guy? Are you more inclined than, hey, you have another guy that comes up for free agency? Well, now that, you know, Troy Weaver and the Pistons are, you know, maybe higher on the list. Is that a real reality in the NBA? I think every general manager, every every team exec- looks at it a little bit differently uh, for me personally I, I've had this debate with some NBA guys and it's not exactly the same thing but it, it, it relates to it is with the pre-draft process some teams will bring these players in and they'll drill the heck out of them they'll, they'll put them through these workouts that, 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 are, that are you know so in, you know impossible and really just you know really test them their their mental toughness and whatnot which I understand why but to me you know I would look at it a little from a little bit of different angle as far as hey we want this to be an appealing place for players even if we're not going to draft this player, we might want to sign him in a few years, right? And so, you know, I think, you know, having some um, courtship, e- even if there's not an imminent opportunity uh, of, you know, kind of creating this this presence that that is, uh, you know, well thought of, I, I, I do think is really important. And so, yeah, t- taking care of, you know, veterans that have sort of earned to be treated with respect, I, I think that common decency is not only the right thing to do, I, I think long term, uh, it's the right way of running a team, uh, you know, j- j- just to, to maximize your opportunities as well. One thing Troy has always talked about uh, since he was hired is just, you know, like bringing the right people into the organization. And, you know, I think sort of the baseline behind that is not just wanting to have like a high character program, right? But having people who are sort of in for the long haul, because uh, when you're in the reboot, you're going to lose a lot of games as the Pistons have, you know, they have the worst record in the NBA. And you just sort of need, you know, people who can buy in. And I think some of the motivation for the veterans as well is, you know, if a, a guy's no longer bought in, right, then you want to find a good situation for them and sort of keep things intact. But uh, you mentioned how things can kind of become a zoo really quickly. How much do you think rebuilds can sort of be, or maybe the timeline of rebuilds could be affected by how content everybody is in the locker room, right? Like if you have young guys who are like, well, no, I want to win. Like how much can that maybe speed things up and lead a team to say, well, now it's time to win, right? Like even if it's not the right time from a skill standpoint, it's the right time just from a patient standpoint. There's so many thoughts just ran through my head when, when, you, when you brought that up. And there's there's really, there's so many different layers to manage with a rebuild. And, you know, a lot of things that uh, even just, uh, you know, my, my, my dad and uncles have gone gone through this a number of times. And, um, you know, one, one thing that's, that's regularly been said is, if you're going to do a rebuild, make sure you have the job security to do it, right? Yeah. Because it's like pe- people, everybody's, you know, acts like it's a great idea at the beginning, but pretty soon the owners, the fan base, everybody's, you know, c- come, coming at your neck, right? <laughs> so uh, it was really nice to see that, that Troy got that extension because um, I, I do think he's doing it right. And not that every movie he's made is panned out as, as well as he hoped it would, uh, but it's not realistic to think that a general manager, everything they do will, will be absolutely perfection, right? But they've got this great core unit. Uh, I'm, I'm hoping they, they stay, stay the course because I, I think um, I mean, I'm being a little repetitive here but I think going win now mode I think it's premature I, I think I think they're I think they're a year or so away from you know flipping the switch and, and maybe maybe even longer than that and uh, you know I mean let's see who they, they get in this uh, th- this next draft because they got they got a big one coming I want to ask about coach Casey and not specific to him I guess but one thing that I think Omari and I preach is that Coach Casey's very well respected. Coach Casey does a really good job turning these young players into professionals, teaching them the way of the NBA. Are we overstating that? Like, is are, are we giving him too much credit? Like, no, their agents are teaching him that, or they're going to figure it out. Or is like that some real value that the Pistons have a coach like Coach Casey that that sees the importance of that and is helping Killian Hayes grow and Sadiq grow and Jaden Ivey grow? Like, what is the value of that, Matt? 
for me, I mean, again, it, it, I think you'll have a different answer depending on who you ask. With me, I think it's very valuable, especially for this group. Most of these guys are still kids, right? They, they should still be in college. And I think a lot of the priorities that a, an athletic tr- director should look at when hiring a coach are, are, are pretty different typically for an owner or general manager looking to hire a coach for an NBA team. But not when you've got a young real rebuilding team. The, the, these are young guys that still need to be molded into men. And Joanne Casey is a high character, old school guy. Uh, and I think he, he's the right type of personality and has the right level of experience to help young guys, you know, be, become, become professionals. And so, uh, I mean, I, I think as they, you know, as this, this team, you know, develops and, and, and you know, becomes probably a contender in the next couple of years, two, three years, uh, I, I think the, the priorities of, of what coach Casey, uh, will need to, to look at and, and, and sort of, uh, prioritize is going to change. I mean, I think it's a lot more of an emphasis on uh, the technical part of the game. I mean, right now you're, you're just, everything's about development and growth. And uh, you know, again, it's a certain point. I'm not sure exactly what it's going to be. You need to flip the switch a little bit. Now it's going to be like, all right, we've got you to a certain point. Now we need to maximize on this talent that we've developed. It's not a hot take to say that coaches in the NBA, um, you know, I think when you sort of prioritize the keys to, like any rebuild or success, a lot of times the coach is one of the first people to go. And Casey's pretty unique in the sense that he was hired to coach a team led by, you know, Blake Griffin, you know, expected to be the playoffs and then things kind of go downhill rapidly. And now, you know, he's in his third year under a GM that did not hire him. Typically when, you know, GMs come in, they, you know, put their stamp on the team. Troy did that with the roster, he did that the front office. He did not do that with the coach. He kept Dwayne Casey. He allowed Dwayne Casey to pick do assistance and everything last summer. You know, I guess as his rebuild goes on, do you see value in allowing Dwayne to get to the point to where the team's good enough and you give him the chance to coach that roster? Because I think more and more you kind of see sentiment from the fan base that, you know, we need to do voice this and that. Um, you know, and I think that the NBA typically has a culture of, you know, when you want to make a, a statement, you fire the coach, right? The Pistons thus far have been behind Dwayne Casey to give him a chance to coach this team. Uh, do you think that Dwayne is the guy that should be allowed to kind of see this team until you get to the points where you want to see them win more? I mean, I think the NBA is so competitive from from every angle. Everybody's being evaluated pretty much every day, whether it be the general manager, the coach, the players, you know, everyone. Um, I, I will say this, and it's more of a general statement, uh, and I've had debates with this with, with, with some friends of, you know, I, I think one thing that I think teams do, and I'm going a little off course, but I, I, I you know, bear with me, is – with the, with the G League, uh, teams will hire young coaches to to run it and use it as a developmental opportunity for coaches. I think it is the most backwards concept ever. Like, why would you want an inexperienced guy developing young players? I would look at the opposite. I would want a veteran guy that's been there, that's done that. You know, you you don't want the blind leading the blind. You you want somebody to show them the way, right? Yeah. And so I I actually I would be more open to you know, to hiring um, you know somebody that's you know proven to be technically good and maybe you know in more you know have less experience as a head coach and being a leader with, with a more experienced team. Um, with a young team, I, I would want a guy like Dwayne Casey leading them uh, at the point that they you know need to flip the switch. Naturally, I think they'll go back to the drawing board and evaluate everything they have, inclu- including Dwayne Casey, right? But uh, I, for the time being, I, I think I think he's the guy to, to, to take them to that, that point. Final question, and then we'll go to a short break and then talk NBA draft stuff for the first time. So this is the first time we're really talking Victor, Scoot, and all that, Matt. So um, it's kind of exciting, and it's just it's time. It's time now. As, as Amari's mentioned, the Pistons have lost a lot, and it's time to talk about those guys. But I just want to make sure I give you a chance to, to clarify, you know, and, and put a bow on the off-season approach. So it's move on from Boyan, Burks, Noel, only bring in vets. That would open up a lot of cap, cap space, Matt. What would you do with that cap space this summer? I assume it's not chase a star or, or something like that. It's just to do what with that cap space? First, just kind of give you a, a few little points of uh, you know basic understanding of the cap, how it works and whatnot. So next next season, the, the, the cap will be $134 million. Uh, but the team will need to pay a minimum of, of salaries out. I think ninety uh, percent of the total cap, so it's, I think comes out as like one hundred and twenty million. Um, the contracts that the Pistons have in place outside of the veterans you just mentioned are all rookie scale contracts, right? And so, like, they don't even come close <laughs> to hitting the minimum. Yeah. So, I mean, we're talking about if they if they were to you know say Troy would follow a plan that that I propose, right? I mean, you're looking at sixty plus million in cap room, right? And no, I don't think they should go after the biggest free agents. I, I think it would be counter counterintuitive as far as what they're trying to do with this rebuild. Um, 
I, I would aggressively look. I mean, Sam Presti's done this a lot. You know, Troy's old boss in, in OKC, where he absorbs bad expiring contracts and takes picks with them. And I, I would stockpile as much as I possibly could, taking that approach. And if you, you end up in a tough spot where you're, you're not getting close to the the minimum salaries, um, I, I would go do the Philly JJ Redick deal, where you overpay a veteran on a one year deal. You get the exact guy you want. You you overpay him, but you, you pretty much overpay him to do take a role that fits exactly what you're trying to do. And so. Um, I mean, a lot of it is you kind of need to go through the process and see what you know what's available out there. I mean, it, it's easy to say, "Hey, we're going to trade Bogdanovich for X, Y, and Z." Some, somebody else got to agree to that, though, right? So, but I, but I do think that that's the approach I would take uh, to see to, to explore options and see what's out there. But we will, we will see what uh, Troy decides to do, right? And a lot of that may be dependent on where the Pistons land in the draft. So after this short break, Omari, we are going to ask Matt who he would take with the number one pick if he were the GM of the Detroit Pistons, and then go down the line to number two, three, four, and five. All right, hey, Carlos, just a quick idea. How about if I say, hey, this is Sean Windsor, and you say, hey, this is Carlos Maros, and I'll go, and then we'll go back. You want want to try that? Yeah, that sounds good. Okay, you ready? Yep. Hey, this is Sean Windsor. And this is Carlos Menares. And we are the team behind Free Press Sports with Carlos and Sean, where we are going to talk about, you guessed it, sports, but lots of other stuff. Like what, Carlos? Oh, we're going to talk about your favorite subject, Sean, food. Um, Probably more food arts culture sports tv movies you name it if it's happened in detroit we're going to talk about it and sometimes we're going to have guests in who obviously know a lot more than we do about just about everything but we're going to have some free press journalists to talk about big stories folks from the sports world we're going to be out every thursday you can find this podcast wherever you find your podcasts apple spotify google podcasts we hope you'll join us All right, we're back with segment three. And as Bryce mentioned earlier, we're doing our first real draft segment of the season. Uh, and then we could thank the Pistons, you know, for that 20-point loss against the Sixers for that because we, <laughs> we kind of need to flip through, through the script a little bit and speed some things up. Uh, this is the Wimby draft. You know, I think, uh, you know, many analysts would say that Wimby is the no-brainer first overall pick. And, you know, I think people who have been following this draft know why. But it's not too often you see or Anytime you see seven, four guys with the, you know, guard skills that he has. But, um, you know, I say that because I assume you're going to say Wimby number one, but I also don't know exactly how your uh, draft list is playing out right now. So who would you take number one? And if it's not Wimby, then who would that be? Well, first of all, it's draft season all year for me, so <laughs> this, uh, this, this, this is nice when, when people want to turn the page and, and, and kind of step into my, my area, so thank you for that. Um, and I've got a really hot take here. No, I'm just kidding. I, I would take Victor. <laughs> oh, okay. Matt, that would have been, we, we were definitely putting that part on Twitter if, if that's where we went with this. That was a record scratch. No. <laughs> right, no, I'm just, I'm just, uh, just messing with you guys. Yeah, Victor's unbelievable. I, I was, uh, I was at those two games in Vegas where, where he and Scoot went head to head, and uh, I've, I've, I've never seen a prospect like him. I, I played against LeBron in high school. I'm a couple years older than LeBron. Obviously, he was incredible. Uh, but I mean, those, those are the two best high school level players. Uh, obviously, Victor's not high school, but uh, you know, eight, 17, 18 year olds that I, I've ever seen. Uh, and I think specifically with Detroit. What what's great about what they have in place now is they've got players with upside, but a lot of versatility too. I think I think already they've got lineup flexibility. And with Victor, I mean, this guy is essentially like a seven four, seven five positionless skilled guy. And I mean, I'm just thinking about all the different lineups you could throw out within one game. I mean, it's just absolutely nuts. I mean, it's uh, Bryce. We talked about this earlier. I mean, I wouldn't even be surprised if you put out a lineup at at certain points where you've got Victor, Isaiah, and Jalen all playing together, which is just. It's just stupid, right? <laughs> um, but uh, yeah, no, clear cut. You got it, essentially anybody that gets the first picks got got to take Victor, unless the, you know, barring some kind of crazy circumstance where you know medical issues or you know some, something along those lines. Uh, but I mean, my my full expectation is that Victor will be the number one pick, regardless of who gets it. Generational is thrown around a lot. I don't think it's should be used as much as it is. I feel like I feel pretty comfortable saying Victor is generational. Do you think that that's a, a time or he's the player that we can use that term with because he is a seven foot five guy that can handle shoot and play defense or is it still too much to say that? No, I, I think I think it's fair to say he's a generational talent or a generational prospect. Yeah, uh, as long as that it's understood that like that's not a finished product. There's there's certain things that need to happen. 
for these guys to be, you know, become what you want them to. I mean, just like we were talking about with these other young guys, I mean, with Jaden Ivy, like I have a lot of confidence in, in, in Jaden. Is he absolutely going to get there? Like, I, I don't know. I mean, he, he's got to take care of business. Like things need to go a certain way. And the same, same goes for Victor. I mean, he's not a surefire NBA superstar. If I were to bet on it, yeah, I think I think he he's got as good a chance or better than any player I've ever seen. Uh, but yeah, no, I mean it's the, the, there's always risk when, when you're drafting an 18, 19, or 20 year old because there, there's just that there's a, there's a big gap between what you know what they are and what you want them to be. You know, as we've talked about, Wimby is a once in a generation prospect. You know, of his size, his defensive instincts, you know, the way he shoots it, the way he handles it. You know, he kind of plays like a weird cross of like Rudy Gobert and you know, like Dirk maybe. Uh, but I guess if a guy like that were to not live up to his ceiling, sort of what would those reasons be? Because I know one thing that some analysts have had concerns about, or you talk, just talk to people on the league, is uh, maybe durability, you know, given just guys that tall often do have some durability issues. Do you see those problems with him potentially being an issue? And is there anything else that kind of points out as a red flag for you? Yeah, I mean, the, the, the physical part of it is really the only issue I have. I mean, I think the, the intel adds up. I mean, he's, he's supposed to be a very mature, you know, polished kid. Uh, skill set-wise, I mean, he's already on, on such a high level. I mean, he's hitting these one-footed floating NBA three. I mean, it's just, it's, I feel like I'm like watching a video game, watching the film on this guy. Yeah. And uh, uh, yeah, I mean, I think it's all, it's all going to come down. I mean, the, you know, the one thing that I think is interesting is, you know, we talk about this a lot with, with, with my guys is uh, unique body types often lead to unique issues with their bodies. And Wemby's got about as unique a body as we've, maybe ever seen right i mean seven foot five eight foot wingspan like essentially perimeter player um and so i think the the medical screening process um is going to be important and, and this is one hypothetical scenario is uh you know what what if his agent doesn't let him, him do physicals i mean uh, you know i think certain owners certain medical teams will feel differently about investing millions and millions of dollars without having you know having having the, the the medical information i mean it's like hey i'm gonna go buy this rolls royce but i'm not i'm not gonna and it's used but i'm not gonna show you the the carfax right <laughs> you know and so i think different people look at uh that, that situation differently and that's that's a that's a real scenario i mean that that might happen that happened with chet a little bit right like it right. may it may have been strategic by chet's team but chet right. reportedly did hold his medicals from a couple teams correct yeah, I, I think he held it from most teams, okay. and I, I don't. I don't think it was released, uh, uh, and I don't know this for certain, but I, I don't think it was released until right before the draft. But yeah, no, I, yeah, I mean that that kind of that kind of stuff happens behind the scenes quite a bit, and you know, Victor's got enough leverage. I mean, he if, say say the team that gets number one pick or the number two pick, the agents don't like those teams for whatever reason. They they might try and power play to have them slip. I mean, pro- probably not, but it's uh, it's possible. All right, real quick before we go to number two, because I know there are some other really exciting guys in this draft. C- compare Chet and, and Wimby for those fans that, you know, they don't, not everybody gets access to Metropolitan 92 games. And so not everybody has seen him other than the highlights. So, you know, real fans who really want to know, but I think a lot of times it's like, oh, we just saw Chet last year. This is just a seven foot five version of Chet. Compare, can you compare those two guys for the listeners? Well, I mean, I think they're very similar. Uh, the, the biggest the biggest difference for me is that I, I think Victor has a better body than Chet. I mean, they're both extremely thin, uh, but Victor already has some definition in his arms. He looks like he's got a frame that probably can add some more functional weight, whereas is Chet, I think he's just got one of those body types that, that that's not going to add much weight ever. And uh, regardless of what he does, and so um, that that gives naturally just gives Victor more upside just there, just from you know the the idea of his body is going to improve. Uh, and then from a from a skill set standpoint, I mean, a seven foot five version of Chet is really damn good. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> so, I mean, it's like it's it's I mean because Chet is already a unicorn, right? I mean, he's a seven foot plus guy that's doing stuff off the dribble, blocking shots left and right, shooting threes, uh, and and so yeah, essentially Victor is Chet Holmgren, you know, he's just like sort of a rich man's version of, of him. Um, but yeah, I mean, I, very, very similar in style of play. I, I do think uh, Victor does even a little bit more off the dribble, a little bit more versatile as a shooter, uh, but it's the same idea. I mean, th- these guys are just absolute unicorns as, as, as prospects. I was going to say uh, Wimby has a little bit more wiggle than Chet, which is a really funny, you know, which is a really funny thing to say about a guy who's seven five, but he has wiggle. <laughs> right. you know, he does have a little right. more wiggle right. than Chet. Um, no, one you're, thing, you're right. I mean, it, it, very similar, but it, it, everything's similar. It's just I think Victor's a little bit better at everything than Chen, which is 
which is pretty awesome. To be <laughs> honest. You look at that number two pick and, you know, I, I think, a, a, again, this is a unique draft and that the, the one and two are, are pretty clear cut, you know, bitch. Really, I guess it's similar in a way to the 2019 draft of John and, and Zion, where those were declared number one and two. But uh, Scoot Henderson, uh, he hasn't played in a little bit, you know, been nursing the injury. But um, one thing you mentioned about Victor Wimbledon earlier is that, in a sense, he's positioned this because of everything he does. And Scoot's not. Scoot is very clearly a sort of a an on-ball engine, you know, in the NBA. And, you know, I'm of the belief that if Pistons get the number two pick, like, yeah, you just use consecutive lottery picks on ball handlers, but, you know, Scoot might be the best of them, so you still have to do it. But uh, I guess for you, where does Scoot kind of fall on, like, that that tier list, and how do you see the Pistons having to make a decision there when you have a, a 6'2 guard who would probably be the clear-cut number two guy in that in that class? Yeah, I mean, first off, I, I love Scoot. I, I mean, I love his talent. I mean, from an athletic standpoint, you know, skill set, style play reminds me of uh, a Derrick Rose in, in his prime. Uh, and, and having gotten to know Scoot personally the last couple of years, I mean, very similar to, uh, you know, my evaluation of Isaiah Stewart, the, the way he's wired, the way he's built, the way he approaches every single day in the game. Th- th- this kid, is he's just a total killer. I mean, he's going to succeed. I mean, as long as, you know, he stays healthy, um, I mean, he's going to be an extremely good player as far as the fit with Detroit uh, yeah, it, it isn't it isn't a perfect fit because I mean you've already got two guys that that need the ball in their hands to be effective. Uh, I, I do think it can work. I mean, you know, like I said with Cade, I think Cade's a positionless guy. I mean, he's six seven plus. He's got a nice frame. Um, I mean, essentially a one two three. He's just a perimeter player. And so I mean, the idea that you could have Scoot, Jaden Ivy, Cade Cunningham as your three perimeter guys is pretty scary to me if, if you're having a matchup. <laughs> like, how, how, do you, how do you guard all three of them? I think you would need a, a coach to be sort of creative and, and put together an interesting offense and different sets uh, to make sure that those guys are being utilized properly. Uh, but I, I probably would take suit number two. I, I do love Amen Thompson as well. Um, and Amen probably style-wise is a little better of a fit because he's, he's, he's more like Cade in the sense that he's sort of a positionless guy uh, that defends everybody, does stuff on ball, but like is effective – um, you know, not not being ball dominant, but uh, yeah. Long story short, uh, Scoot Scoot would be my guy at number two. I have to ask Matt, and even though I think I know the answer because I know Pistons fans have talked about it and would consider it, would you even consider trading the number two pick for a reasonable, you know, trade package? Like, obviously, you would trade number two for Giannis or something crazy, right? But like, if a team was offering you, like, hey, man, that that's interesting. Like, that's that's fair value. Would you even consider that? I would assume not, right? Because you're looking at a younger prospect on a rookie deal, but would there be a deal to be made for you? And by in that fair situation? value, is that like a Bradley Beal type? Like, is that sort of the category of player we're talking about that would be fair yeah, value they, for they, a guy like that, that would be what I would consider, something like yeah. that. But now you are, you're adding a vet, uh, older player on a big contract. It's a really hard question, right? Because, I mean, I think there's so many scenarios where, you know, uh, I mean, let me let me frame it like this. I, I don't believe in players or picks being fully untouchable. I think there's certain players and picks where it's like, you know what, chances are we're probably not going to get something we want we want to move on. There's there's probably a price for everything, right? Yeah, and sure. so I mean, you know, are, are the Bucks gonna trade Giannis? Yeah, probably not. But like, what if <laughs> a team gave everything? You know, it's like you might look at it. I don't know. I mean, so yeah, I think I would consider, I mean, and, and to the point that we just brought up is, you know, Scoot's not a perfect fit. May, maybe let's see how the rest of the season goes, how the pre-draft process goes. Maybe they love Amen Thompson. Maybe they love Brandon Miller, or Nick Smith or Cam Whitmore. And they're able to trade number two to get a player they think fits them better. And they get some additional assets or players or whatnot. Um, yeah, I, I would keep it on the table. Like, why not? I think I think everything should be on the table and, and you should hear it out. Like, that's that's essentially Troy's job is to make sure that he's doing what's in the best interest of, of, of the team at all times. And so I think I think if he says something's totally untouchable, I, I think he's uh, doing his team a, a disservice. So this will lead us into number three, four, and five. So how close are those guys to Scoot? Amin, Asar, Cam, those guys? Because I think that's the trade, right? Like you trade back from two to, let's say, four. If the Pistons think they can get Amin at four because somebody else is going to take Cam Whitmore at three or something, how close are those guys? Because I kind of have a tier, like tier one, tier two, and then there's a tier three. But I know there's a lot of people who that tier between Scoo and especially on men isn't that big. Yeah, it's not that big for me. And, and like I said, I, I, I'm i a huge fan of Scoots, but I'm, I mean, I, I love Amen Thompson too. I mean, I, from from his talent on, on, on the floor and just getting to know him personally, he, he's wired 
a way that that will give you confidence that this kid's going to succeed too. Uh, I mean, I know there's been some question marks with his outside shooting. I'm one that thinks it's going to be totally fine. He's a worker. He's got his head on straight and it's not totally broken, even though it doesn't look, look totally smooth. It's not like he's a bad shooter. I mean, he's hitting shots already and and he's a young guy. Um, And so I I think it's relatively close. Uh, You know, I I do have a men higher than SR. Uh, but I, I do think it's closer between them two than a lot of analysts think. Um, and then, I mean, I, right now I've got Brandon Miller after him, Nick Smith, Cam Whitmore. I really like Gigi Jackson, South Carolina. Uh, I, I do think those were gradually getting into another another category. I would probably have probably Victor in his own category category by himself and, and scooting on men in their own. And then into that next that next tier, if I, if I had to do it right now, obviously we have a lot a lot of time for these players to change our opinions and then also for more me to gather more information on them to the, you know, kind of come to a conclusive evaluation on each guy. But that's how I see it today. A man, you watch him play. He kind of just looks like a really big, he's like six, seven, super athletic, um, you know, a guy who's best with the ball in his hands. How much do you buy into him being more of a, like a utility guy, sort of like a, a Scotty Barnes, where you could really sort of have him occupy, a lot of different roles. I think he's a better athlete than, than Scotty, but, you know, I think a team like the Pistons where you have Cade, you have Jaden, you have Killian, um, you know, a men would sort of have to show that he could do some things without the ball as well. Yeah, I, I actually do think he's capable of doing that. I mean, I, I think he could do either, honestly. I think he could be a guy that could be your offensive engine where you're running everything through him, so similar to how, you know, Cade's used, where it's like, I mean, is Cade a point guard, I guess? Is Luka Doncic a point guard? I, I mean, who cares, right? The ball is in their hands, and they're they're the offensive engine, right? I do think a men's capable of doing that, uh, but I also, you know, the, the one comp I have for him is a different Scotty, is, is Scotty Pippen. Okay, and and that's exactly what Scotty was. Scotty was, uh, you know, jack of all trades. You know, Swiss Army knife, point forward, defends everybody. And you know, with the men, I mean, and Asar, defensively, these kids have a chance of being so special. They're they're so athletic, and they got frames. They're already pretty strong. Uh, I, I think they're going to be solid, big time athletes that kind of do everything. And um, I mean, they're outside shooting. I, I do think there's some correlation with you know how they develop there and how much success they'll have. Uh, but I, I think they're going to be good, even if they become just just decent shooters. But uh, yeah, no, I, I do think a man can can be that uh, that utility. I mean, like high level potential, you know, star potential utility guy. How elite is the athleticism, Matt? I don't know if you've seen him in person. We've all seen the highlights. I've got to watch a couple games with access I have, but obviously not in person. I think it's hard to always judge athleticism. You know, Jaden came in and was an elite guy, first step speed, you know, as a rookie. Are we talking like top 10, top five, or top 1% athletes from the Twins? Oh, I mean, I, I think they're absolute elite athletes. I mean, some of the best athletes I've ever seen. And, uh, you know, one thing that was interesting, and uh, maybe it was a little bit of lip service, but I'll, I'll take it anyway. I was I was with my one of my friends that's with Overtime Elite in their their front office, and I was asking them different questions about their players. And I said, hey, do you think I'm off that I, I have a man and a SAR, you know, so much closer than everybody else? And, and I admitted I like a man better. Um, and I was like, what do you think? He's like, he's like, here's our take. And he's like, we've talked about this as a staff uh, specifically, and and we feel that, you have them closer because you know them better. We know who has been here, you know, in the gym and seen them in person. And you, we feel like you've got a better grip because you've been to Atlanta so much. And, uh, I, I, I found that interesting and I'm going back in a few weeks and that's pretty much the main thing I'm watching. I'm just going to watch these two kids of like, what's the, di- I mean, I, I know they're a little bit different. A men's a little bit more of a point guard. A star is more of a scorer, but like talent wise, effectiveness, how big is the gap? Because I'm still not real confident on on how far how far it is, you know? One guy that I think is really in- intriguing and is playing his way really into that top five conversation pretty firmly is Brennan Miller. And I think on paper, he kind of has some similarities to Jabari Smith Jr. last year, just being uh, like a really, really clear-cut um, sort of shooting, uh, you know, wing or power forward or however you want to categorize it. Uh, also concerns about what else can they do offensively? Like, you know, like how much of a dribble drive came, game can they develop or just inside the interior in any respect? Uh, where are you on Brendan Miller right now? Because I think, you know, if the Pistons are in that like four through six, four through seven range, he's a guy that I think checks out the boxes for him. Another guy I really like, and, and, and just the, the, one thing I like to point out is I'm very high on the top part of this draft. I, I think the depth is, isn't very good. Uh, but I mean, going down this list, I mean, I know I'm saying I love all these kids. I do love the top part of this draft a lot. Yeah. So, um, I, I would I would get more critical if we keep going. Um, but yeah, with, with Brandon, I've watched him since he was in high school. Uh, I was just in Portland over Thanksgiving at the uh, Phil Knight Invitational, and I got a chance to watch him several times. Uh, he's 
he's interesting. And as far as for the Pistons, style-wise, he's probably the best fit of, of this entire top group. I mean, he's a 6'9 uh, shooting wing. Uh, that That is, I, I do think he's got you know, uh, ability to, to create off the dribble, do some stuff in the mid range. I think the biggest uh, criticism right now, he's not great finishing at the rim. Uh, but I think a lot of that is uh, lack of physical strength. But I, I do think he can add add some weight and, and improve. I, I don't think it's ever going to be, you know, his, uh, his bread and butter. Uh, but I don't. I don't think it's necessarily going to be like a glaring weakness either. Uh, and, and then defensively too, I think that the strength will help him. He's he's rebounding the ball really well uh, for a guy that's you know more more of a perimeter player, even though he is six eight six nine. Um, but yeah, no, he he would be a great addition to the Pistons. I mean, if, if you missed on that that first uh, tier of guys. Last guy here, Matt, and then we'll let you go. We got to ask you about Cam Whitmore out of Villanova. Again, the, a guy that kind of I think fans are excited about because I think fans see Cade and Jaden and then Stu and Duran, and then so they're always looking for like that three man. And I know Cam, I'm interested to see what you think if, if he can play the three, the four, where he's more natural. But just in general, Cam Whitmore and then kind of his fit with the Pistons if they did end up in that, you know, what, four to six range like Amari just said. Yeah, I like him. I, I, I'll admit, I, I don't know him quite as well as these other guys we've talked talked about i'm going to see him and i've, I've seen him i saw him at the usa basketball trials before he, he joined that team this summer uh and i'm going to see him next month at, at creighton whatever else i said i saw him at mcdonald's all-american game too i think but anyway he uh i think i think troy will like him i mean a lot of the things that troy said about culture and all that i mean he fits the isaiah stewart type mold of like he's just a bulldog wing that defends everybody's he's, he's rough and he's tough uh but he's got some skill too i mean i think he's a natural scorer uh, shot maker, uh, you know, sort of. I, I see him probably more as a three, but he's just okay. sort of like a positionless guy that's switchable, and, and you know, maybe he's a little bit like a guy that's you know, sort of a master of of none kind of thing. But um, t- toughness, you know, big, 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 strong frame. Uh, I think he's right, right in that that uh, that second group that's not too far off the first group. I'm sorry, I lied. Real, real quick, I promise. Second, <laughs> second round pick, Matt. The, the right now the Pistons would have number 31. They have their own second rounder after it got traded to like five different teams in the NBA. That's how second round picks go. Just give us a couple names, top of the second round, so some guys that would be good talent. Um, if you you know that are what 25 to 40 on your big board, maybe. Yeah, sure. I mean, I, I think a lot of it with the Pistons, it's going to depend on who they take with that first pick, and uh, you know, and again, and, and sort of what Troy's strategy is if he's going. You know, with with my proposed strategy, uh, getting a guy that probably can play a little bit right away, but has some upside. Um, and let's see who's there. I mean, I you know, some guys that I like that uh, that have really done well this year that are, are older college players. Uh, Jalen Wilson from Kansas, I think he's been terrific this year. Uh, really tough kid. That's first. I think he's more of like a stretch four, uh, but I, I think he could fit in that that role. Uh, Terrence Shannon Jr. Uh, from Illinois, who, who transferred from Texas, uh, Texas Tech, he, he's had a great year. Uh, and so th- those are two guys that come to mind that that have really kind of risen up the ranks. Uh, one other guy I like to say is Marcus Sasser from Houston. I'm going to go see him at Tulsa the, this next week. We, we had him at uh, at Damian Lillard's Formula Zero, and he is just a tough sucker. Again, a guy that fits what Troy's trying to do as far as his approach. I mean, defends, shot maker, but would be a nice guard off the bench as, as a backup or, or even you know a third 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 point guard type type guy. All right, Matt. Thank you. We appreciate your time. Uh, thank you. Um, I've got to know you a little bit more since Summer League. Uh, I got to meet you in Denver whenever I went out there for the Pistons game. We got to get brunch together. I, I appreciate you taking time for me with everything you have going on, helping me grow and do everything. So I, I wanted to take this time to thank you for that. And I, I pr- appreciate the, the relationship we've developed. But let everybody know where they can find you. And I know you can't list everything you do. I don't know how you do it. But, but let them know where they can find the podcast and all the stuff you got going on. No, first of all, thanks, thanks for uh, all the kind words. It's been it's been a lot of fun, you know, getting to know both of you guys, and uh, always happy joining this podcast. I mean, you guys are one of the best in the business, and I, you know, I, I come on as a guest on a lot of these, and uh, this is probably my favorite. You guys are, are, are terrific, and really um, appreciate that. As far as where you can find my stuff, uh, so I'm a senior NBA drafting answer for basketballnews.com. Uh, so my big boards there provide some analysis there. Uh, I just took a job with Cerebro Sports, uh, which was an analytics company that was recently backed by Mark Cuban. Uh, my right-hand man and my protege, Derek Murray, just got hired as head of basketball. Uh, he's taken that to a whole other level. They're turned to a fully-fledged uh, scouting operation, and they just hired me as a scouting advisor. So I'll be uh, doing some scouting for them. Uh, see, what else do I do? Uh, we got my 
podcast, The Matt Babcock Show, put together by Title League, a podcast network. And you can find that on any any of the podcast uh, outlets, Apple Podcasts, Spotify, um, Formula Zero. Uh, I'm, I'm working with Phil Beckner and Damian Lillard uh, for you know putting together our second uh, annual uh, Formula Zero, which is uh, essentially like a, a skills camp. We had top 20 uh, high school players and college counselors. Uh, we're looking to uh, scale it out, make that better than ever. And I'm a big part of like the player selection process and, and helping mentor the kids. I think that's I think that's just about all I have for, for now. But <laughs> <laughs> it, it changes every day. I'll, I'll let you know what, what I got to do next next time. No doubt. And we're gonna have Matt back on here in a couple months. We're hoping to make this a, a thing here where he comes in and gives us his perspective and all of his great knowledge. Thank you again, Matt. We appreciate it omari take it away my guy yeah once again matt you know it's been great getting to know you and always a pleasure to hear your thoughts on the pistons just the nba in general so definitely excited to have you on here again soon um as for the the outro uh big thanks to our editor carrie jr the second and robin chan our executive producer Anjanette delgado and our sports editor kirkland crawford also big shout out to wes we'll talk to you all next week